Hello everybody, welcome to the LA Kings Corner Podcast. This is officially episode 5. In this episode, we open the show with something that is far from the norm. Trapwagon, shadow Trapwagon on Twitter, took the time to write an essay about toxic hockey culture. And from there, Marv and I talk about how we should be consuming sports, which is a very interesting topic. And from there, we obviously discuss about all the happenings from the week. We were in Long Island, we were in the Garden, we came back home, we faced Winnipeg, and guess what? We lost all three, so the Kings are on a three-game skid. What do the Kings need to do to turn things around? And of course, we preview tonight's game against the Seattle Kraken, which is a team that traditionally we have a problem with, and I know it's a tired topic. We do discuss a little bit about Pierre-Luc Dubois. But anyway, thank you all for tuning in. This is officially episode 5 of the LA Kings Corner Podcast. Hey, Kings fans. Welcome back to another episode of LA Kings Corner, the podcast for the fans, by the fans. This is Ryan Marvin joining me t- today, Joshua Norse. It is December. What is it? December 16th already. Holy smokes. Coming back to you live, just like, like we do in our weekly episodes, um, Josh and I. And uh, the Kings are coming off of a three-game skid where they were on the road for two. They did um, set a new record for road victories to start a season uh, with an overtime win in Columbus and uh, Montreal. And they were not able to continue that um, with an overtime loss to the Islanders, a 4-1 loss to the Rangers, and a 5-2 loss to the Winnipeg Jets at home. We've got a lot to talk to you about today, folks, and we're really excited to jump in. Um, we've, we want to touch on the, these three games, um, but we're going to do that shortly after. We've been chatting a lot on our, our LA Kings Corner uh, Twitter feed with fans out there. And one of the topics that has come to, to the forefront here is um, how should we be consuming sports? Obviously, uh, you know, we are putting our content out there to encourage, to entertain and to educate as best as we possibly can. And we hope that you're enjoying following us along and we continue to develop and get better. Um, But one of the topics that we wanted to discuss, and I'll have Josh kind of lean into this one a little bit deeper is, you know, how should we be consuming sports? Yeah, so it's a it's a great question and it's a great topic. And and as everybody knows that, yes, we are Los Angeles Kings podcast we're a hockey podcast but we do want to uh we do want to enrich if, if we can at all we want to try to enrich people's lives and and make people better right even ourselves so that that's ultimately the goal and i think why i wanted to to open the show with this is because there was a one of our followers shout out trap wagon this is a user on twitter he took the time to write something he took the time to write an essay about um essentially what we're about to talk about. And really it's about how we should be consuming sports. And as you know, Marv, I fancy myself a bit of a writer. So when someone takes the time, I like to, uh, well, I think that we should talk about it. And because he he put his feelings out here on paper on what he thinks about the hockey community and, and how we should be viewing sports. So I'm just going to read this. Uh, it's not too long, but then I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Marv, and get, you, get your thoughts on it here. But uh, Trap Wagon, again, shout out Trap Wagon. Uh, he has his thoughts on the hockey community. The hockey community does not seem to value fun first. There's nothing you can do to change the aspect of the community because hockey does not seem to require it the most. For the new people that want to get into it, if this is the majority of what they see from hockey fans, might you think that it will help grow the game? 
I believe this will intimidate people from wanting to get into hockey. If I may add, the hockey community seems to slander others for how they root for the sport, and many people trying to understand something seem to get slandered for not knowing enough or can just get ignored rather than help, uh, than someone helping you understand. Mind you, this doesn't mean that there's nobody that will help you, but the impression I pick up is that learning the difficult parts of the sport is not as welcoming as people wish it or play it out to be. This seems to most commonly happen in hockey compared to the other sports communities. Don't get me wrong, this exists in every sport, unfortunately, but I see it happens the most in hockey. Okay, we're almost at the end here. Where I found myself in all this was by finding the hockey accounts that do want to have fun. What is fun to me and how did fun begin? It's how I react to watching basketball, baseball, European football. It's reactions, banter, self-deprecating humor. I can't ask a whole community to do what I'm doing, but it'd be very refreshing to see more of these kinds of interactions with hockey without scaring people away from loving an awesome sport. So there's a lot in that. Uh, I do understand what he's talking about, particularly when it comes to the way fans interact within the hockey community online. Um, I would like to think it's slightly different in real life, but is there anything that you get from that, Marv, from uh, just fun in hockey and how we should be interacting with fans and how we should be consuming consuming sports? You know, it's an interesting topic. Is hockey an inclusive sport, right? Is it actually available for everybody? And I, and I think the answer is no, unfortunately. Um, the sport in general requires a huge financial investment, uh, and oftentimes it's difficult for families uh, who maybe aren't well off socioeconomically to, you know, engage in that. Now, I know the Kings are doing a good job of trying to get out there and do some outreach programs, providing equipment, providing clinics, and that's awesome. I mean, that is just absolutely amazing because the truth be told. The, the reason that we grew up playing the game and we were blessed to do so was because it was so much fun. I literally remember as a kid, I started a little bit later than, than some kids do. I started when I was 10, but I, but before that, you know, I would grow up with your dad, um, playing garage hockey. You know, we'd have the Milik street pads and rollerblades, and we'd be out playing roller hockey for hours and hours on end. You know what I mean? Emulating Patrick Waugh, Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky, all of those things, having uh, an amazing time. And I actually started to play hockey when he and his buddy, Jeff Gambino decided that they wanted to coach an in-house hockey team. And I was like, Oh man, I would love to do that. Right? Like my uncle to have him be my coach would be great. Now, as you go along the journey and as the game gets a little bit more competitive, just like any sport, right, it gets a little bit less inclusive and a little bit more exclusive. And I think that that's where some of the, the tough aspects of getting into the sport can come from because hockey is a game that is super cognitive and it's super complex on a multitude of levels. If you're just joining us on, on the podcast and, and you're enjoying this and you're not necessarily a huge hockey connoisseur, there might be some things that we talk about that may not relate to what, what the, the level of understanding is. And that's totally okay. I mean, when people go to their first hockey game, there's a lot of rules that just are interesting icing offsides you know what i mean why do they change every 30 to 40 seconds you know what i mean there's just so many little aspects different penalties um power plays penalty kills there's a lot of different things fat uh, face-offs and then the strategy at the professional level i mean think about it if if 
if hockey was more like football and they stopped the play and then they let them go for a split second before they went out of bounds or whatnot, it might be a little bit different. The fans could regather, they could do slow motion replay and that kind of thing. But since the game ebbs and flows so much, um, you know, anybody who thinks that they know everything about the game is absolutely lying. There is no perfection. The art in hockey is an imperfection and making imperfect things come to fruition within ultimately is scoring a goal. So I think that's the beauty because it, re it really relates to life. It relates to teamwork. And ultimately, man, we do need to create more of a community where we're welcoming or we're trying to teach and educate and understand because the more people who are interested in the game of hockey, the better it's going to be for the game, the better it's going to be uh, for everybody. But I definitely, I think that this is an aspect of humanity overall that we could tap into. I know I've gone a long, a long ways, um, from how should we be consuming sports? What were your thoughts when you first read that? And, and as a writer for somebody expressing themselves on that topic? Well, from a, I'm going to try to get this out quick from a writing perspective, you know, like I can be super analytical about how it comes across punctuation wise or whatever. Uh, but ultimately it doesn't matter. Insofar as this, the goal for the writer is not to try to, because I see this a lot with the quote unquote intellectuals when they write something, it's almost as if they're trying to impress themselves or try to impress other people with how they write and how they come across. That is not the way to write. How you write is you all, you write it out as you're thinking it basically as you're saying it and however it comes out is how it comes out. You have a point to make then just make it. That's how you write. You're not out here to try to impress myself. I'm not out here to try to impress other people. I have a point to make. However it comes out is how it comes out. But anyhow, what he, I understand what he's talking about. I know what he's talking about because I've been on the other side of that where I've been a prick to people saying things like, oh, well, you've never laced up a pair of skates in your life. What the F do you know? Stuff like that. Right. And I've been a dickhead to people who are, I don't even want to call them casual fans because they love the game of hockey, but because they disagree with me because they have an opinion that differs from mine, I was out there being a, being mean to them. And that is very very much good old boys hockey club nonsense right and so this is interesting i just was in a twitter spat with somebody who i actually like shout out bernard dewey a fan of trap wagon he wrote this essay i'm in an argument with him because he has a different opinion about dubois and velarde than i do and i you know i had the conversation with you uh it was brought up to me by a couple other co-hosts of the corner now this is what's interesting is i feel like too often sometimes in society People close the book before they're finished reading it. I had the conversation with you. I had the, it was pointed out to me, a co-host. And I came to a realization that is very simple. You know what? I don't have to be a prick. Very simple. I can have an opinion. I can express why I feel this way. And I can respect other people's opinions. Very simple stuff. If people listening to this might go, yeah, that's obvious. But apparently it's not because it runs rampant, particularly throughout social media, right? For sure. So anyway... It's just that I understand what he's talking about when he talks about toxic hockey culture because I've been a part of it. And now taking a step back, I can see it. You know, when other people have conversations about the game, it's, bro, it's as you were saying, Marv, it's educate, engage, entertaining. Uh, yeah. And right. encourage. Yeah. Really all we have to do. It's not that serious. In the end, this is a game. And the Los Angeles Kings, as much as I love it, as much as I'm passionate about it, it has, you know what? I hate to say this because this is a Los Angeles Kings podcast. It has nothing to do with my life. 
in the end, it has nothing to do with my life. All right. So yeah, it's not going to change who you are as a person. I'll make one more point, Marv. The mood, my mood sometimes can be contingent on whether they win or lose. That's not the way to consume sports. I know that much. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think I've had to learn that too about, uh, about sports because I remember, you know, in 2012 and 2014, you know, Oh, there were times in 2013 when we lost to the Blackhawks and it's like, my gosh, it really does, you know, have an impact negatively or when the Niners lost in the Super Bowl or, you know what I mean? Whatever it might be, but it, it's not your identity folks. Right. You know what I mean? It we're literally living. And I think the, what you said, Josh, and I'll have you say it again is when you, there's an ability to express your opinion and you don't have to necessarily agree with the other person, but you don't have to slam the book on them just because you don't agree. We, do we, do we need more of that in society? Like open-mindedness and realizing that people have differences. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. It's an interesting thought. Um, now look, uh, we do want to, we do want to bring you some insight and some, uh, some aspects that hopefully can, you know, encourage, encourage you along the way. The Kings are on a three game skid. Um, hockey might not be the most inclusive sport out there, but there is a lot of good to it. And, you know, from our experience, that's why we're here. That's why we're here today. Now, Josh, you were able to, you were able to, uh, attend, uh, Winnipeg's the, the game against Winnipeg and, uh, obviously spectating the game from the LA Kings corner is such a treat. It's such a great place to be. It's such a great place to see the game from because you're truly in the action. If you haven't had a chance to visit us or definitely let us know, we want to, uh, you know, let people enjoy that experience with us along the journey here. Um, one of the things that was highlighted along the way was the goal by Alex LaFerriere. That's that amazing goal snipe top, uh, top, shelf short side high on Connor Hellebuck. And that shot came from LA Kings corner. You were re- literally right in the background. I think it got tweeted out by who's the big host on uh, ESPN. Uh, McAfee. McAfee. Yeah. McAfee loved, you know, hockey rules, right? That was his hashtag. Um, and so there he is, there's Josh in the background on McAfee's tweet and uh, what a great, great shot, but talk to, talk to us a little bit about that game. Um, five, two loss. And maybe touch on, you know, obviously the Velarde Dubois comparison that we're we're hearing a lot about right now for, as Kings fans. Yeah, you know, it's, I was I was talking to you about this, Marv. Being down there is such a great experience. I'm so privileged to to be able to sit in those seats. And by the way, that giveaway thing, if you, anyone saw that, that's not a work. That's not fake. Every, every every now and then we have extra tickets. And if we can do an LA Kings corner giveaway, hey, uh jump on it bro and i would love to have um new people new fans be able to sit down there but as far as the winnipeg game after the first 20 minutes it actually wasn't very eventful uh not a whole lot happens um yeah so we got that we got that two nil lead then we went into the ensuing 40 minutes and this is something that i was asking on last on last week's pod which was how did the kings respond when teams start to be a little bit mean to us, when they start to get chippy or even dirty, uh, we saw Anders Lee get dirty with us. That, you know, there's a difference between chippy and dirty. Anders Lee got a little bit dirty with us even, and uh, we let that lead slip away. Winnipeg was a little bit mean to us. They started to get a little bit chippy to us, and then we let that lead slip away. I don't know if those things are exclusive to 
uh, hey, if you get chippy and dirty with the Kings, that you'll automatically win the game. I don't know, but we, I think we got a glimpse of that in those two games because I saw, you know, there were guys they were barking at Lazat when we got down two 0 Velarde was jawing with the Kings guys. Uh, there was what was the play? Uh, what was it? Who hit? Uh, Adam Lowry came over to talk to Grun- Grunstrom right after there was he a- hit Morrissey. Yeah, he hit right. their- came with Morrissey and Winnipeg wasn't taking any shit. All right, and they were actually in our grill about it. Um, so I, I think that that's possibly why they took over the game. Now it's it's very easy for uh for a hockey analytical guy to go. Well, here's what happened that Winnipeg Jets top line took over the game and we couldn't stop them. Point taken. That out, that did happen. Um, Ehlers, Shifley, Velarde really took over. Velarde 4.9, obviously. Um, and we couldn't find a way to stop them. So, but as far as the... Because that's the big story from the game. Velarde and Dubois, right? That's the big takeaway. Uh, I understand everybody. I've, you know, I, I kind of catch wind on social media because I... <laughs> I'm online because Ryan's smart. Ryan's staying offline more than I do. Uh, I catch wind that people are getting tired of talking about Dubois. Um, but when Velarde comes into our house and scores four points and he's John at our guys, I get, I think this is the point, Marv, and not to get bogged down on this. But what we know about Velarde is this. He is willing to tell the truth in his, in his interviews. And he's kind of wears his emotions on his sleeve, let's say. So he's out there. He's jawing with the guys. He has a four-point night that is indicative of a resentment or a bitterness, right? And the report came out. I don't know who reported it. We won't name names. That Velarde didn't want to stay in L.A. Or Velarde was unwilling to accept a bridge deal. Whatever. But we say this all the time on this pod, Marv. We're not in the room. We're not part of the negotiations. We don't know. And the report that came out, clearly, they don't know either, right? So this idea that Velarde didn't want to stay in L.A. or that he was unwilling to accept a bridge deal, none of his actions, none of his words, none of his interviews indicate anything that would support that, right? So seems like Gabe has uh, Gabe wanted to stay a king, and he's quite pissed off that he uh, you know, wasn't allowed to. And if we want to get into it, Marv, here comes the Pat Brisson and the Luke Robitaille and the Rob Blake stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is where it kind of relates back to is hockey inclusive or is it exclusive at the highest levels? And, and hey, look, I'm in business. My best clients are people that I really like doing work with, right? And they like doing work with me. That's just humanity, right? And we And people like to keep that close to the vest. But as we've looked into this deal... And we've, we've come to find out there have been some revelations in doing some research that that Pierre-Luc Dubois, his agent, Pat Brisson, is the same agent who represented both Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake, also represents Ange Kopitar. And so my question is, is does that relationship influence that deal getting done? Yeah, and let's be clear. Still speculation. We don't know. We have no idea if it influenced the deal or not. But, and I had this I had this discussion on Twitter too, if there's smoke, there's fire, it would be weird not to acknowledge that, right? So what it seems to me, if we're looking at, because these are facts, right? Pat Breeson was the representative or representative of Blake, Luke, big parts of the Kings, and Kopitar, and Dubois. These facts 
scream to me that look look here's how i don't know like here's how business works on the highest level just from being a fan of wrestling even here's how it works pat breeson got luke he got blake paid now here comes the phone call i got y'all paid time for y'all to do me a solid now right i can, can that's conceivable i need to get this guy paid so i can get paid i can see that and it seems like luke and blake I don't know if they got their guy. I'm not sure how this scenario went down, but they either got their guy or they were they owed somebody a favor. And look, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was a it was a like a shady deal, like insider trading. We're not talking like this is like Nancy Pelosi and her all of a sudden she's you know her net worth is through the roof and her husband's the best stock trader to ever come across. That's not the type of deal we're talking about here. Like. It was within the confines of the rules, right? Like they're allowed to work together. We're not saying that they're not allowed to work together, but we're definitely saying is that does the influence of the relationship between a general manager and the players and the players agents impactful on how well you can negotiate your team. Now, if I'm an agent and I'm representing, you know what I mean? And I'm competing for with Pat Breeson. I know when I go and my players are playing for LA, like that they have a connection with Pat Breeson. You know what I mean? And so part of part of me is wondering, like, okay, am I going to lose my guy to Pat because Luke and Rob have a better relationship with him? You know what I mean? The other part, so I'm trying to get my player out of LA. You know what I mean? Get him to an in an engagement with a team where I have a good relationship with the GM. That's my only thing. You know, Rob Blake, Luke Robitaille, their vision for the Kings, it may be great. It may be awesome. But, dude, you know what I mean? There's there's also people behind the scenes that are pulling strings and that have the influence of players. And so it's a tough spot to be in from a general manager if you have an existing relationship with this agent over here. Now, negotiations are hard. You know what I mean? You're talking about multi, multi-million dollar deals with players and their careers over the long term. So that's all, you know, we're, we're not necessarily talking about Dubois here, but like the interesting side of the behind the scenes, behind the curtain, so to speak, on what goes on with these business deals and how these players are getting paid. Now, Velarde, I mean, he showed the other night that he had something to prove. He had something to prove. There's no doubt about it. He didn't come on and say, I have something to prove. But interestingly enough, there was a quote when Dubois came to LA that said the exact opposite. The quote is from Pierre-Luc Dubois on playing for the LA Kings. Now it'll be fun, be a fun opportunity for me to just be who I am, not show anybody, not prove to anybody, just fully be me. You know, I don't know if this is taken out of context or what context it was delivered in, but I don't know. What does that say if, if I'm just looking at that quote? I don't know. I, I really don't. Uh, like we talked about before we went live here, does it mean that the lights were too bright in Columbus and Winnipeg? Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't mean that. But now I can just have fun. What I'm just curious to know, again, I don't know this, what was preventing him from being himself in Columbus and Winnipeg? I uh, saw so I'm not it's it's a very peculiar quote. Uh, I, I suspect it means that he felt that the clamps were tied down on him and that he wasn't able to 
to be free as far as his play goes. Uh, maybe a guy like Tortorella or was it Bounis that was his coach in Winnipeg? I, I think Bounis came in there at the end, yeah. Those are two guys that are going to say, that I presume are going to be, hey, you. it's a 200-foot game and they're going to really be adamant on him playing the full, you know, both, both ends of the ice. Maybe he thought that was uh, uh, hampering his freedom. I don't know. What, what's, what do you take? What's your take on that? I, you know, you're coming to a Stanley Cup contender. I mean, at this point in the revelation, it, you're a Stanley Cup contender. Plus, you just took a huge contract. Eight years, $8.5 million. Like, that's not a quote that I would anticipate somebody who's getting paid top dollar saying. You know what I mean? When you, like, hey, look, when I'm helping somebody get a job and they're demanding top dollar for their what they do for company, you're going to be under a magnifying glass coming in there. You're setting really high standards now on what's expected because uh, because you're demanding this dollar value. Are you prepared? Are you prepared and ready to handle that? That's a great. That's a great point. And you know what? Every uh, a lot of Kings fans were upset about Velarde on his uh, when he got traded. He said, uh, basically, essentially, he said that the majority of LA Kings fans are kind of casual, fair weather fans, and it's nice to go home to Canada. Uh, where people give a shit, right? That's, that's kind of what he said. Pierre Dubois said, maybe, did he not say the same thing? Where <laughs> now I can go to LA and now I can just finally relax and be free because it's I'm, the fans aren't going to be so hard on me. Is that, did they not just say the same thing in different words? Pretty much, yeah. Kind of, right? But no one's going to give Dubois the stick. I mean, it's coming, right? And I think this is where Dubois, uh, maybe reality check time, Yes, uh, the, the fan base and all of Los Angeles, not just as it pertains to the Kings. Yes, Los Angeles fans tend to be casual, but there is a when it comes to the Kings, there is a very there is a core diehard group out here that is going to is going to chew you up and spit you out if you don't perform when you sign an eight point five million dollar deal and look like you're kind of gliding around up there. It's, it's very true. Look, and hey, look, I know you were talking about um, some vintage clips, right? Went back to watch some vintage clips. And the reason why, you know, things have changed from that perspective. And yeah, maybe Velarde didn't get a taste of what it's like to win in LA, right? Because he was kind of part of the rebuild. He was part of the rebuild. But when you win in LA, you're a king, right? And you're a king for life. I mean, look at the, the statue outside Staples with Dustin Brown, you know, Andre Kopitar and, you know, Blake and, and Robitaille never got a chance to win in LA. They went other places and won, and right. they got a chance to see what that was like, but winning in LA, you know, that's why Andre Kopitar is the King of Kings because he's won in LA. He started here. He's won and he's won here and he's going to finish here. Um, but you know, what was the, what were some things, you know, during that time, some of those highlights, right. The things that, um, you saw that stood out to you. Uh, well, okay, we bring this up, Marv, because um, w- at least in my opinion, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I suspect you agree that it looks like the Kings want to do the, this rendition of the Kings, the 2023-2024 Kings, want to play a kind of a straight-up hockey game, our best hockey versus your best hockey. But oftentimes, uh, it doesn't work out that way because people are going to be a little bit chippy. But look. If you want to do that, if you want to play a straight-up hockey game, you can do that. Uh, but there's there are things that 
you're going to have to do along the way if that's you're going to be your identity as a hockey team. And I was pouring through, yes, I was pouring through some old clips last night, not even knowing that I was going to even bring this up on the pod. But, uh, you know, if Zoom screen share, if I had any faith in it, I would bring it. I would actually show the plays. But these are pretty infamous plays. Y'all be pretty much uh, I think you all know what I'm talking about. Two plays. There's two things you got to do. Right. I think the first thing is you got to pay attention to detail and you can't cut corners and you got to play the full way through. And the second thing is, if you want to play a straight up hockey game, well, you got to be willing to take the licks. And that means you got to put yourself in positions where you might get smoked in order to make a play. So there's two plays in particular. One, uh, game seven against San Jose. Kyle Clifford gets the puck right at the blue line. He bumps it out to Williams. But the job's not finished yet. We're going to pay attention to detail. He has the net drive. He eliminates that Sharks defenseman, which opens up the, the way for Kobotar. Williams puts a backhand pass on his stick. 2-1 Kings. It was good night, Sharks. I believe that was the winner. Game seven. These are plays. That's a play you could say that play may have won us the Stanley Cup. Next next series. Game seven against the Ducks. I think it's 2-0 Kings at this point. Gets rimmed around. Comes to Kyle Clifford once again. Picks his head up, and he gets smoked by Ryan Getzlaff. One of the biggest hits I think I've ever seen. Kyle Clifford gets smoked, but he took a hit. He made the play to Richards through the neutral zone. Kings were in. Dropped to Dwight King. Richards ends up scoring 3-0 Kings. And it's good night, Ducks. So there's two plays there from a role guy who just, this is the foundation. We were talking about Gretzky. He didn't win with us. Crypto.com, Staples Center. It's the house that the 2012-2014 Kings built and a guy like Kyle Clifford helped build. And he paid attention to detail and he was willing to take a hit to make a play. He took a bunch of licks for us. So, you know, those are things that the Kings are going to have to do. Yeah. And that's, I think, what you what ultimately... Um... The point is, is right in order to in order to achieve that level of success, you've got to be willing to, you know, sacrifice and make plays. And if you want to play a straight up hockey game and and the Kings seem to want to be able to do that, you're still going to have to take your hits. Now, look, that happened the other night in Winnipeg where Grunstrom, you know, laid a good check on Morrissey. And then, like we said earlier, Lowry comes over and he's got something to say about it. Um and when the Kings kind of get off their game, I feel like teams in order to beat the Kings are going to try to have to get really physical and they're going to have to try to get them and muck, muck it up with them a little bit. And can the Kings win in that fashion? It's well, you know, I've only really have two games to, uh, to judge this on. So it's not a big enough sample size, but again, as we were saying, Marv, I think the Isles did that to us. And yeah. I think Winnipeg did that to us, uh, and we're gonna get a re- we're gonna really gonna find out when Edmonton comes into town, because they're not gonna play a nice game against us. Now, they can play straight up hockey with anybody, with specifically with those two guys. But there's a history between us and them, and I think we're really gonna find out. But I mean, we asked the question on the last pod: What would you do if you're the coach of the opposing team? How do you beat the LA Kings? I don't think the Kings like a. Uh, I don't think they like an in-your-face, talking shit, hacking. Cro- I don't think they like that style of game. Uh, there's a way to get through that, though, right? And I think that's like the things that Kyle Clifford would do. There's a way to get through that. But uh, I think it's something that we're going to have to see going forward. The Kings are going to have to implement kind of those those things that we're talking about. Are there any are there any shifts? I know sometimes changing the lines can be a way that a coach um, can generate some, you know, can maybe get out of a spell. The Kings are on a three game game skid. 
and, and when things get tough, you know, sometimes coaches can change the lines to change the, the chemistry, right? Chemistry is a big aspect of the game of hockey between players because it's five people on the ice playing. And that's so often why you see, you know, forward lines kept together and that kind of thing. Now, when you're watching those vintage clips and we talk about Kopitar being the king of kings, Kopi's had a pretty limited um, set of line mates through his career, right? I mean, even early on, like he was playing with Michael Camilleri, um, and I can't remember the different wingers that he had, but for the longest time, he played with a few a few wingers, and there were some key attributes of those players that really stood out. Um, and so would shuffling the lines be a way that the Kings could potentially um, shake things up a little bit and maybe kind of get back in the right direction? Possibly. Uh, let me give credit to where it's due here. This was a point that uh, a fellow co-host of ours, shout out Dustin, made, and he was he made a great point about Kopitar's line mates. I mean, you can almost, there weren't a lot of them. You can almost name them on one hand. Who are they, Marv? It was Williams, it was Brown, it's Kempe, it's Byfield. Uh, well, Kemp, I follow, yeah, I follow I right? What's the commonality betwixt all those players? Uh, they're hardworking, reliable guys, guys that Kopitar can trust. Again, this isn't my point. This is Dustin's point. I think it's a great point. Uh, hardworking, reliable, trustworthy guys, right? They're going to work every shift. The same way that Kopitar works every shift, as much as shit I give him sometimes about going on a Sunday skate. That's all just nonsense. But he wants people to work as hard as he does, right? And um, so if you're talking about altering the lines, well, that's then you're going to have to make sure that, uh, if, if we're talking about Kopitar in particular, that guys are going to work and they're going to be trustworthy guys. Now, do we want to? I don't really want to bring it back to 80, but uh, I posed this question on Twitter. What's it going to take if we're if we're, if we're talking about altering the lines? Because we want to get max value out of Dubois. We want to get max value out of that contract. So if we're talking about altering the lines, what's it going to take to get Dubois going? Uh, hardworking, trustworthy guys that are going to force him to work is my first guess. That's my first response to that question. Shout out JT Dutch. He had a great idea, I thought. If you want to try to get hardworking, trustworthy guys, you want to if Trevor Lewis and Blake Lazat couldn't get Dubois going, nobody will. I thought that was a great point. Why not try it? Well, and I think you know the other thought is too is uh there are some options. We have a lot of options, right? I think up front. So, you know, Byfield and and Kopitar and Kempe, they've played great. Um, but we've, Hey, we've lost three games in a row. You know what I mean? You could shake it up in the fact that you could also put, uh, you could put Byfield back in the middle there. There's reason to believe that Byfield might be the best skater on the Kings, um, from a full ice speed perspective, but there's also reason to believe that the reason why he's got so much speed right now is because he's playing the wing. It's sure. a little bit freer in the structure. Um, we talked about this also, you know, is the structure of the system. And when we talk about system folks, we're talking about like the, you know, the responsibilities of each player on the ice, mostly in the defensive zone, offensive zone and, and different four checks and that kind of thing can flow free freely, but defensive zone responsibilities, uh, a lot of that, a lot of that comes back to the center. They've got to play a full 200 game, foot game where they're down, helping the defenseman out down low in the corners, net front, 
And they're also in the offensive zone. You know what I mean? Net front work in the corners as well. So the center ice position in the King system or in a lot of position in systems can be extremely difficult, which why is why the Kings and Rob Blake, I believe have built center depth, right? They need to address that. So they got Dubois so they could play the middle Kings have probably the best center depth in the league. Kopitar, Deneau, Dubois, Lazat, and then even in, even you could drop Kempe could play center. Um, Byfield could play center. You know what I mean? Lewis can play center. Anderson Dolan can play. I mean, so you've got guys that can play the middle of the ice. And I think that's an interesting philosophy from a team building perspective. What if you, you know, what if you drafted a bunch of centers and you taught them, you know, the ones maybe who didn't stick to play wing? But then you're also missing because there is a pure aspect of a winger, and that's that's a, a Kevin Fiala is a pure winger. I mean, he is definitely a winger, right? right? When it comes to a guy who he's not defensively responsible, but he brings a whole lot of offensive gift and talent to the ice, and it's just it's a yin and yang. That's what you have to you have to give a little to get a little a, to get a lot, right? So, what what sort of combos could you potentially see uh, in a shakeup if they needed to? I'm not sure. I, I do. I do suspect that uh, Byfield has found his. That's a great point. You know, if you draft a bunch of centers, look, I, my philosophy on it, my take on it is the best hockey player should be on the ice. Uh, I don't really it doesn't really matter. Now, the center is such an important position. Right. So it's you do have to be responsible. There's things that go into being a center. You look at a guy like Dano, who's not the most gifted player ever but he's so good because it's all an IQ thing. It's a know-how it's a, he's always positionally sound and that's kind of what makes a center be a center. Um, but drafting these guys like a Kempe, Byfield, Velarde, Turcotte, the best players can be on the ice and they can play wing. It's kind of like the same reason why I don't necessarily buy into the right-handed defenseman, left-handed defenseman and having an even balance out there. The best players should be on the ice. If the, they can play, these guys are hockey players. They can play wherever. But as far as combos goes, it's interesting uh, when Arvidsson gets back. And then now, mm. now there's a bunch of combos that you can work with. Uh, look, Arvidsson, more hardworking guys. They have some chemistry. You can put them on Dubois' wing. You can shift Dubois to win. Because sometimes it looks like when Dubois gets the puck and he gets going, when he starts moving his feet, he looks a little bit like Jeff Carter when we first got him to the neutral zone. Ooh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. the wing would free him up, you know, but then that means Byfield has to go back to center. So you're right. There's a lot of different things we can do. The thing is, though, is whatever they choose to do, whatever McClellan chooses to do, you can't make the move and then abandon it. You got to stick to it and let the chemistry happen as far as, and then, then like instead of, you know, they play one game together and then, oh, it didn't work. Now let's, let's disband them. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I think uh, I liked the line of of Dubois, Fiala, and Laferriere for a little while. I thought that was a good line. Um, and then Kaliev and Dubois had some chemistry. I think they scored a really nice zone entry goal, drop pass goal. Yep. And then they took Kaliev and kind of demoted him um, to the fourth line, which is, is tough. I think Kaliev had been playing pretty good, pretty good hockey altogether. I thought that that line with Lazat, uh, Lewis and Grunstrom was so good. You know, even though Grunstrom maybe earned his way to play on, on the third line, I don't see why breaking that line up was, 
why there was any reason to do that. They were so effective mm-hmm. um, and Grunstrom was scoring and now Grunstrom's not scoring. So we've lost some of that depth scoring because of that line move. Um, I, I'm not opposed to uh, I'm not opposed to putting Fiala back with Dano. Um, I'm also not opposed to putting Laferriere with uh, with Dano and uh, Trevor Moore to see what sort of uh, opportunity could come from that. I don't know how that shakes because I think Moore's Moore plays the left wing and I think Laferriere also plays the left wing. Yeah. Um, and so then you get you get into the you know the line combinations where you want to have right-handed players on the right side and left-handed players on the left side. And look, I you know I'm I was the same I was the same as you until I got to you know when I was coaching a little bit um, at the Division One level and I saw the impact that it could have when a defenseman's picking that puck off the wall or he's making a bro- a breakout pass. And positionally, his his forehand is on the outside of the ice, right? Because what what are you trying to protect? What part of the ice are you trying to protect? The middle of the ice. The middle of the ice, right? So you're trying to keep everything to the outside, keep the puck to the outside. And do you want to make plays on your forehand or your backhand? Are you stronger on your forehand or are you stronger on your backhand? Typically forehand. Right? I mean, it's like players are strong on their forehand. When you're making a play on your backhand, you got to be sure. You have to be sure. You know, a backhand play turnover happens and it's a bad play in the game of hockey. You can use your backhand, but it's got to be 100%. And so that's what happens when you put the right, a right-handed player on the left side is a lot of times they're in, they're in situations where we want to protect the middle of the ice, but in order to make a strong play, they're having to make plays on their backhand. Um, and so I'm okay with that. I think we have the depth. I think Moverari did fine. I, I I love Bjornfoot. I would love to see him in the lineup. He's a he could you know highly touted, and this is another thing. Holy smokes, guys! Um, we're the Kings. They draft they draft these players. They draft them, but we never get to see them. We never get to see. We saw a little bit of Bjornfoot. We ne- we haven't seen that guy in years. We drafted Turcotte in the top five. We have never got to see that guy do anything. Like Byfield has got actually has get, been given a really good opportunity to play. Is his agent the same? Agent? I don't know. <laughs> That'd be so interesting. Is he rep by Pat Breeson? Oh my god! If he was, that would be like way too. I'll keep going. I'll have to make. I'll look that up real quick. Uh, I don't suspect, right? But I don't suspect. Weird. But yeah. the Kings. Hey, look, the Kings are on a skid. They're coming up to. I'm in the Pacific Northwest. They're coming to Seattle tonight. Seattle's not as good as they were last year, but um, you know they're on the road. So maybe this is a good time for for Kings to get back on their feet, to get back on the on the wagon, so to speak. I haven't seen anybody post anything about any line changes or combination changes. The only thing we did see was that uh, um, Copley got hurt in practice. Uh, the other night, so they called up David David Riddich from the minor league team, which I don't think it really is going to matter anyways because Talbot was going to play tonight uh, yeah. anyway. So I don't know. Coming into tonight's game, I, I'm I think the Kings the Kings should win. These are games where you have to take care of business, but uh, I'm a little bit concerned if Seattle wants to try to get get gritty. Do they have it? They can. I think Seattle's got a pretty gritty group. Uh, and I feel like traditionally we've had trouble with them. 
Um, man, I kind of wanted to see Portillo. Uh, you're talking about the young guys that we, we rarely get to see. As as uh, With regard to Tobias Bjornfort, yeah, it feels like we haven't seen him in years. He's had a couple kicks of the can, but nothing noteworthy, I would say. Nothing, not nearly uh, the sample size that I think you would want to see out of a guy you drafted in the first round. But here's, look, let me say one thing about Tobias Bjornfort. All these people and their advanced stats and their analytics, they, there's there's uh, utility in those advanced stats, but it can get a little bit muddy when people use them to push an agenda or to get their favorite player over. Uh, I love Tobias Bjornfort. His advanced numbers, they aren't great. Uh, I, I hate to say that. I fear to say that, but it is the truth. Uh, I, I, it doesn't look like he's performed very well when he's come up. I have my excuses for that but I'm not going to make him. Uh, but yes, it would be nice to see a guy like Turcotte, who unfortunately is just, he gets injured in the AHL and you go, well, can he at least get injured in the NHL? Then you have like a guy like Brent Clark and then uh, Eric Cortillo down there, who's they're not getting the calls, but I get it. Um, they don't want to, they don't want to rush development. But anyway, with, with respect to the Seattle Kraken, uh, they've won two games in a row, dropped a seven spot on Chicago in their last time out, beat a good Florida team 4-0, so they've won two in a row. They're on the up and up, it seems, in the last two games. Kings are on the down and down. Uh, and traditionally, we have trouble with them. Um, however, you know what? I, it's going to be a tough one. I think we're in one because the loss of Vladislav Gavrikov is huge. And, uh, poof, man, he really means a lot to our back end. So we'll see what happens, man. Uh, any predictions? I don't know. How, who knows? I'd like to see the Kings get back on the in the win column. It's going to be a tight one. It's a 3-2 league, they say. That's what Brad Richardson thinks anyway. 3-2 uh, Kings. Mm. I think we're going to see a high-scoring affair tonight. I think it's going to be seven. Oh, they scored seven the other night? Seven. Seattle did? Yeah. Oh, man. I don't know how you can duplicate that effort. But uh, the last time... I remember last season in LA, there was like a eight to seven yeah. game that the Kings won or something like that. That's right. So whatever the over under is, I'm Way going over. on the over for sure. <laughs> I'm taking the over and Hey, look, you know, we're talking about Kings hockey, obviously maybe a little bit uh, of criticism, but there's also a lot of hope too, folks. The, the Kings are still in the top five for power rankings, for the NHL uh, season. They're ranked in the top 10 in the league right now. Um, so high, there's high expectations, right? There are high expectations and the, you know, all that, the, all that we can do each and every day and all that they can do each and every day is just do your best and realizing um, sometimes it's not about like uh, being perfect, but as soon as you fall down, how quickly can you spiral in the right direction? Right. Uh, when things go sideways, spiral back is quick. That's, that's one of the most gathering those instances, whether it's in a game through the course of a game, you have a bad ship, Hey, spiral back. You know what I mean? Let's turn that back around as quickly as possible. You get a goal scored against boom, spiral back. You lose a couple games, spiral back. Let's go find one thing to focus on when that's right. That's going to help you become the best that you can possibly be. And then Build on that. You know what I mean? Keep spiraling those little tiny wins together, micro moment after micro moment. And that's all that you can ask for in life. That's all that you can ask for in sports. And the reason that, you know, when we talked about to circle back, bring it full circle, how should we be consuming sports? We hope 
that that sports provides hope for our life because we get to see these athletes they go through difficult situations they get to go through difficult times and they bounce back and that's ultimately like a reflection of life does it tie to you personally no but you can definitely use it as entertainment and and take yourself separate yourself from that and say oh man that's a tough situation i wonder what they're gonna do to bounce back sure Sure. And let me say this. I, I hope that I'm not coming across as no, no, no. I uh like a like an anti-Dubois guy. Really, I, dude, he's a king. I'm rooting for him. I want to see him excel. Yeah. Yeah, one thousand percent. It's just, you know, uh it's just we're uh criticism is fine. I just, I hope I'm not coming across as anti-Dubois. I'm not anti-Dubois. The guy is a king. He's here to be here for a long time. And and anybody you know, for me to just consistently bury him, it was not helpful at all. But to your point, Mark, that's all such good stuff. And it's also, look, you lose three games in a row, such a don't judge, such as life. Actually, you could treat the loss with a little bit of joy. Thank you for handing me that L. Now mm-hmm. there's now I know that there's something I need to work on. Now I know that there's something I need to practice on. So it's not, you know, it's just you go through these down spells and, and you know, a day to, whatever it is, maybe you have a bad day or whatever. Thank you for that bad day. Now I can, I know what I, I'm aware. Now I need to know what I need to work on. So don't judge, man. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things I wanted to get back to when we're bringing it back to humanity and sports too, is like, there's this sense of, um, and I've played golf with a lot of people and I have gotten to the point where I'm pretty good, but uh, every once in a while you play with someone and maybe they don't play as much as you and you're just having a great day. And then you hit one bad shot and it's like, they're almost happy that you hit a bad shot because, you know, they wanted to see that you were human (laughs) Yeah, that's right. and you're like, man, like I I struggle with that because I want to see people be their best. I want to see you do, I want to see you put it all together for a whole round. You know what I mean? Play flawless golf like that to me is like awesome, but there's something about humanity that likes to see people fail and i wonder why that is oh that's a great question i mean we could debate we could probably devote so much time to that what uh that's that especially look in modern day society what it seems like people love nothing more than to build somebody up and just to tear them down and go see you weren't shit all along it seems to be this like human beings love to do that like I don't know. Here, you know what comes to mind first? Like somebody like Britney Spears, they look at her and oh, see, you you're just a crazy chick the whole time. I don't know, you know, what what that what's that about? What my initial, my knee-jerk reaction to it, <laughs> we're gonna get into some sort of spiritual talk here. Is it's it's not you. It's not when you see that happening, when you see a human being loving to see somebody feel fail. Again, don't judge. It's not them. It's it's something within them that is making them behave that way. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I have to like I have to remind myself of that too sometimes. Logically, I would never root some, for somebody to fail. I would never want to see somebody hurt. I would never want to do something to harm somebody. And because that's logical, I wouldn't do it. But in a fallen state, let's say, I quote unquote could do that. But it's not me. So just. Anybody out there who's involved in any sort of spiritual practices or whatever, understand that. It's not you. Keep walking the straight and narrow path. Let the light fight. Lay your weapons down. It's going to be fine. It is something, though. It is super interesting. Like the the humanity, when somebody climbs the ladder and they've reached the pinnacle, 
Like there's, there's a, there's a point where people want to see him fall. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that is. You know what I mean? Like we should be like Tom Brady was a guy, you know what I mean? Celebrate that guy, dude. He played football till he was 40 some years old. You know what I mean? He could have gone out with a super bowl, but he wanted a little bit more. And I don't know. It's interesting. Ego, ego, possibly EGO edging got out. You know, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's a great question, though. I'll have to look into it. We'll address it next pod. Maybe we should open with, open with it next week. But yeah, it's a yeah. very interesting question. I think, uh, well, and I think tapping into, right, tapping into your best, right? When you can connect with your higher self, ultimately, like um, I think the Greeks called it eudaimonia. And then there was another word, the Romans, uh, the word genius was when they tap, when you tapped into your inner genius was when you like were tapping into that highest self. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think if we can all find ways to tap into our highest self and, and bring out that genius, I mean, it's magic what can happen, yeah. but I think it's, that's the light side. And then when we, when, when you see somebody else tapping into their genius and you're not tapping into yours, the darkness kicks in that, and I it. feel like you want to pull them back down. That's it. That's exactly it. Marv. I think you just, I think we don't need it the next week, but I think you just hit the nail on the head right there. It's when you see somebody doing what you should be doing, the evil kicks in. Oh, fuck them. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's what it is. But again, it's not you. It's the evil within that hates to see that because you're capable of that too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And we want to be here on this pod, you know, obviously talking with Kings hockey and LA Kings has brought us all together, but you know, ultimately it's a joy to bring our best self and to help others bring their best self. And if you feel that instance, or if I feel that instance this week, I'm going to, I'm going to learn from this where it's like, okay, I see somebody doing something and they're doing it great now. Hey, if they can do it, I can do it too. Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i can yep. do it too yep and 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 put people over you know what it, yeah when you, when you see when you see the light working in somebody else's life let them know celebrate yep celebrate it for sure i would love to see some celebrations from the kings tonight yep, yep. let's get it Dubois, first goal scorer fuck it let's go <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's go that would be awesome all right, man. Great, great episode. Thanks for everybody for joining us. Josh, you want to sound off with uh, where people can find us? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Watch along live tonight for, uh, let's say, 645 puck drop for the watch along. We'll be live on twitch.tv slash LA Kings Corner. We'll be live on instagram.com slash LA Kings Corner. New little feature there. So twitch.tv slash LA Kings Corner, instagram.com slash LA Kings Corner, and twitter.com slash LA Kings Corner, rumble.com slash LA Kings Corner. Uh, LA Kings Corner at gmail.com. And if you like what we're doing here, uh, by the way, let me just say this. The reason we do the watch alongs, the reason we do this pod, we want to interact with fellow Kings fans. So the, these are all avenues to get questions or comments right on the air. We don't care what they are. Send them our way. We'll read them. Uh, if you like what we're doing here, last link, the only link that's different, buymeacoffee.com slash LAK Corner. Buymeacoffee.com slash LAK Corner. You're awesome, man.